All right, good morning, listeners, and uh, welcome to this week's news from the Drug War Front. My name is Jeff, and my co-presenter is Marion. Good morning. Good morning, Jeffrey. Good morning, my darlings. How are we this morning? The sun is out. <laughs> Believe it or not, the sun is out, but it's cold out there. Oh, last night. So had, don't be taken in. Had to be down in it low It was very ridges. chilly. Yeah. Be, we just haven't had any sun, Jeffrey, to warm up. I, when, we, when we were sitting downstairs before we came up for the show. Everything was cold. The furniture was cold downstairs, the outside furniture. So, yeah, don't assume it's warm just because the sun is out because it ain't yet. Yeah, it'd be nice to get a few days of just... Yeah, sunshine. And Are we ever happy with the weather? No, no, that's true. <laughs> no, and when, and when it does get hot, I'll probably Always. be moaning. <laughs> <laughs> so I just assume sooner or later it'll be fine, just not yet. Yeah, I was just looking through the Canberra Times. Um, Marion, uh, the ACT is going to go it alone with raising the uh, age of criminal responsibility. It's currently 10, which I find absolutely staggering. That seems strange, doesn't it? And the ACT. That's what ten is not crazy. You're a child, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, no, that's just silly. But I think the ACT uh, government uh, says it's going to forge ahead with raising the age of criminal responsibility, separate to a plan from the states to explore increasing the age from ten to twelve. So the ACT is likely to introduce legislation to raise the age to fourteen, with senior ACT ministers throwing their support behind the increase by four years, and um, it's set to go before cabinet in the coming months before a planned introduction next year. I'm just staggered, I, you know. I don't, ten. I know. I just, Seems I, too young I to don't be understand. criminally responsible. Indeed. Although, Jeffrey, when I was young, they were, um, and I thought about this after we spoke about this last week, that when um, you could actually be charged with being, um, what was it, uh, being irresponsible and like being a, um, a bad, badly behaved child. It was just crazy. I love the way my brain switches off as soon as we turn the mics on. One of the joys of getting older, <laughs> eh, Matt? I feel Lovely the same. Lovely getting old, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, look, um, welcome listeners to today's news from the drug war front. As I said, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy, which is a peer-based community-controlled drug user organisation with over two decades serving the ACT. Now, the aim of the show is to uh, report on the news and also um, debate the various harm and deaths, overdose damage um, caused by the prohibition of certain drugs that began uh, in an international scale with the 1961 United Nations Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs. Sadly, these global policies, Australia's a signatory to that convention and two other sister conventions, remain largely unchanged and we'd like to acknowledge the efforts of peers and activists who've contributed to the struggle against the war on people who use drugs. And uh, hopefully we encourage uh, debate and uh, inform and educate listeners about the failure of prohibition. Indeed. So Karma, as regular listeners will know, provides a wider range of services um, and can assist people with lots of issues, including opioid maintenance treatment, um, treatment for hepatitis C, impact of stigma and discrimination. Somebody's just texting me in what I forgot just before we started the section, darling. The availability of detox and rehab services, impact of stigma and discrimination. We do a, um, a piece on this this morning too, which because stigma and discrimination is very important for us. All issues faced by people adversely impacted by prohibition and the war on people who use drugs. Which are many and varied. Indeed they are. Yeah. Now, the contents of this news from the Drug War Front broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of the Canberra Alliance for Harmonisation and Advocacy. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and does not promote illegal activity. Karma recognises that drug use um, happens and as such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. Karma seeks to reduce the harms associated with drug use as well as the harms associated with the criminalisation of drug use through the provision of empowering programs that concentrate on community development, person-centred holistic health care and equity of health service delivery for all people. It'd be nice one day to be able to say um, we don't have to have a show anymore because <laughs> the drug yeah, wars... Yeah, are... because the drug wars are over. Yeah, I can't imagine that that would happen, but nonetheless... 
Although, you know, maybe we could just change the name and say Enjoying Drugs. Yeah. 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 It could be a whole, whole new show. <laughs> Wouldn't it? All right. Look, uh, we'll, we'll go to a song. It's uh, Why don't Australian that, yeah. Music Month. It is Oz Music Month. You so kindly reminded me. It has been for two weeks. So, yeah, well, time, we, time we got into doing that. Better late than never. Yep. Uh, fortunately, I have a five CD uh was it the hundred best song? It is the from- best. It is so uh, so the one of the best in your collection, Jeffrey. Really, because it relates to all my old my old favourites, and also the. Um, however, that's what I said also before the show, wasn't it? So many of our favourite songs from when we were younger have been acquired or you know taken as ads. So it seems like a lot of the ones I was looking at from your hundred you know Australian albums are now advertisements, and I feel like I hear them every night, yeah. which is really irritating. Yeah. So the one that I've selected is not, um, hasn't been taken over yeah. uh, as an ad. And in fact, it's so old that not many people will remember it, but I bet you Jack does. All right. Jack's it's got better memory than I have anyway. <laughs> Master's Apprentices, yeah. uh, Wars or Hands, hands of, of Time. time. Yep. Okay, here's the Master's Apprentices. You're right, Marion, I haven't heard that in... Decades. Yeah, yeah. But a good one. It is a good one. And so uh, we had such good bands very early in the piece, even though we were, we were being inundated by um, tracks from the United States and from uh, Great Britain. We had, even way before uh, we had Mushroom Records, we still were producing music that was well worth listening to. Um, and, yeah... The Master's Apprentices, and and I think that we've picked, we've picked another track from the Loved Ones. Yeah, um, the, the first single I ever bought was "Turn Up Your Radio." Is Master's that right? Apprentices. Yeah, yeah I they, heard that riff as a youngster, and I just fell yeah, in love. It just so early on, as I used to, I always say to you, I used to buy the songbooks, so I knew all the words to them, um, and I just loved it. Loved the radio. Loved listening to the two CA in the early days. Was always. A good, and now it still plays my ear, <laughs> so I'm happy. Awesome, <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to be dated. Yeah. Okay, we'll go to our first story uh, on local news. It's from the Canberra Times by Rania Yallop. Should drug laws aim to punish or rehabilitate? Indeed. As a question. Chris Goff used heroin for more than a decade, living in poverty on the streets of Melbourne. But even after recovering from opioid dependence, his criminal conviction still uh, controlled his life making it nearly impossible to get a job or housing when he tried to rejoin society. He's quoted as saying, the big one it affects is the way you view yourself and the way that your family views you, Mr Goff says. And that's so true, isn't Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. especially your family. You know, it's really, it's almost important for your family to view you as the sick one, the crippled one. Yeah, yeah? the black sheep. The the black sheep or just someone to focus on as the bad one in the family. And it's... It's always important for them to keep you in a position that is not them, yes. you know, not not there. You belong to them, but you are not, you're a crippled one. Yeah, I know exactly That's, what you mean, Marion. And it's it's devastating. Very, it's disabling. It's it's one of the, like we said before, about stigma and discrimination. Yeah. It's one of the big ones, yeah. And if you can't get over it with your family, who can you get over with, yeah? The yeah. rest of society is not going to look gonna... at you favourably if your family hangs on to it longer than anyone else does, no, yeah? that's so true. Very hard for them to let you get into that well category. Yeah, no, great point. Okay, Chris goes on to say, as well as how future employers view you, there were a number of years there where I couldn't get a job because of my criminal record. Yep. He's now the Executive Director of the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, CARMA, a health and human rights group that helps people access drug treatment and return to society and employment. Mr Goff hopes that decriminalisation legislation proposed by Labor backbencher Michael Pedersen will stop others from living that desperate life. In February this year, Mr. Pedersen tabled the Drugs of Dependence, in brackets Personal Use, Amendment Bill 2021 in the ACT Legislative Assembly. The proposed legislation removes the criminal penalty for possessing small amounts of illicit drugs in the ACT. It extends the bill that decriminalised cannabis possession almost 30 years ago and aims to send drug users into treatment instead of the criminal justice system. And Mr. Pedersen has quoted it. We need to help people use drugs and sending people to prison simply does not help them. That's why I brought forward this private member's bill. The penalty for possessing small amounts of most illicit drugs in the ACT is up to two years in prison. 
but any level of involvement in the criminal justice system can be detrimental. Mm. I would say is detrimental. Even, even a even a um, an unrecorded conviction still hovers over your head, and it's very sometimes difficult to get a job. Fifty two A or five fifty two B or A it was an unrecorded conviction. Yeah, I remember that. That still sits on your record yeah. as an unrecorded conviction, which is just crazy. And it still would have a flashing red light if Absolutely. you're coming yeah. into the country from Especially overseas. When or you're ch- you've got to do these days, you've got to do a working with um, vulnerable with people. vulnerable people. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. you've got a range of certificates, and then if you get checked up. With by the police, you've got a flashing light. Fortunately, with karma, it's actually almost a prerequisite. But you know, it's not detrimental that you are a peer, um, and that having a criminal record often is part and parcel of being a peer. So mm. at least there is a place to work. Yeah, but for, for a lot of people, it's um, it, yeah, it anywhere else, public service you. can't be done. Yep. yep. Um, yeah, Mr. Pedersen goes on to say, if you receive a criminal conviction, it can be hard to apply for jobs. It can be hard to get certain housing and it can be impossible to travel overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, those are radical effects on someone's life. And I don't necessarily think that aligns with getting caught with a small amount of an illicit substance. Yeah. Well, we've got mutual laws. You know, the United States won't let you in if you've got a criminal conviction for drugs or if you belong or to a union or, or if you belong to a union. Oh, really? It used to be oh for a visa for there. But we had the same. So it's not as if, yeah. Anyway, the article goes on, what does harm minimisation mean? Reducing the harm illicit drugs cause instead of increasing criminal penalties as a deterrent is an approach that is already central to the Australian, in, uh, to the Australian drug legislation. ANU law professor... Desmond Madison, who's been around for ages, bless his heart, says harm minimisation has been the centrepiece of Australian drug policy since the 1980s. Um, He's quoted as saying, it's on the front page of the Commonwealth State Drug Strategy, the National Drug Strategy. It's there in every document, he says. The harm minimisation approach has seen the introduction of safe injecting rooms or needle ex- and needle exchanges across Australia, as well as education and rehabilitation programs. The ACT already has a harm minimisation approach to cannabis. In 1992, personal possession of cannabis was decriminalised and Mr Pedersen's private member's bill is based on that legislation. I think we probably should say too that you know bringing in new legislation is reasonably easy. Getting rid of the old stuff is really difficult. It takes five years to get a, a piece of legislation off the book. So if you're just adding more legislation on top, it, it becomes confusing. And I think hmm. that's been brought to people's notice with this. Since yeah, since the legislation was introduced that's the new legislation, the ACT has recorded a steady decline in reports of cannabis use, reaching and maintaining a rate below the Australian average since 2007. Next heading is not everyone is on board with the approach. Not everyone is uh, convinced that Mr Pedersen's proposal is a sensible idea. Opponents of the bill are concerned drug use could increase, despite the fact that you know, there's already data indicating that it doesn't necessarily, leading to more crime in the ACT. Among them is Australian Federal Police Association President Alex Caruana. There's no such thing as a victimless crime, Mr Caruana says. We We do know that drugs are a problem. We do recognise that it's a health problem. However, he goes on, we need to make sure before we decriminalise these substances that there are correct checks and balances put in place. Um, Ultimately, if someone was to buy drugs, that would still be a criminal act. As I say, you know, with the old legislation still in place, that's going to be a criminal act. Those drugs, when you follow that back to the source, they're being used to fund heinous and terrible things, including sexual slavery, terrorism and other areas of organised crime. Oh, let's exaggerate a little bit. <laughs> well, not <laughs> where that may be true, you know, it also funds massive drug squads, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah? yeah. So the the funding that comes from the um, 
and taking money off drug lords goes straight into harm reduction programs and interdiction programs. Yeah, and it doesn't mention that systemic cause is... Absolutely, and that that's... Black market. Absolutely. It's, it, the system, we're not as it is. And our listeners know this. Yeah, of course, you know? yeah. So this is, what he's saying is the stuff that gets trotted out all the time, as we all know. He also has uh, concerns that decriminalising drugs could lead to an increase in use and other related crimes. Quote, I understand there is some argument about the stigma of taking drugs, just some, and that might stop us from people from going to get help, Mr Caruana says. I would go so far as to say that, yeah, there is a stigma with taking drugs and, in my opinion... Rightly so, of course you would, because drugs often lead to other crimes. Mr Pedersen's proposed bill also contradicts federal legislation, which may mean police in Canberra have to decide which legislation they would enforce. God forbid they should have to make up their minds. Mr Caruana says the government must consider what is in the best interest of Canberrans before moving forward. We need to do what's best for the community, says the ACT, and the ACT government has a duty of care to make sure the community is safe, Mr Caruana says. I don't think decriminalising drug is a way to keep drugs is a way to keep the community safe. I'd be interested on that point of the AFP buying into this argument. Uh, I, I thought don't we sort of um, pay for the AFP to provide policing in the ACT? We do, and we I think we have to make up a decision, make our minds up whether what we want them to do is to punish criminals, yeah, or to prevent crime. And they don't see themselves as crime prevention. And I think that that's a really fundamental part of it. If you change the laws, you've got to change all of the laws so that they are... They hang together properly, Geoffrey. I just don't see that the police understand what... I mean, I freak out when I see a uniform, a police uniform. It doesn't matter whether I've done anything wrong or yeah. not. I assume yeah. that they're there for me, yeah, and I don't like it. I'm yeah. not happy. Or a police car. Yeah. I still freak out at that. So... I think that that, and that's part and parcel of kind of socialised or, or institutionalised discrimination. Absolutely. Stigma yeah. that I've grown up with mm. and, you know, been confronted with even in my non-using years since I was, what, 21, 22? Yeah. So just thinking, I'm 68 now, 46 years. <laughs> yeah. I've been living with, you know, the impact of stigma and discrimination. People I hang around with are in the same place. Yeah, I agree. They're either younger than me or the same age, so they're suffering the same thing. I, w I would be interested to um, hear from someone who understands the legalities of the relationship, you know, of AFP providing policing services for the ACT that's paid for by yeah, ACT by citizens. And, yeah, Shouldn't they but be? we are not citizens. Does that mean we're not citizens? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah. It, we equate to not citizens it, because although we might be paying tax or we might actually, if we commit a crime, we also fund their activities because the Proceeds of Crimes Act comes into play. Yeah, it's definitely some complexities. It is, isn't it? Okay, so what could be the future for Canberra? Similar drug laws have already been introduced overseas. Portugal decriminalised personal possession of illicit drugs in 2001, but has continued to enforce criminal laws against trafficking and dealing. People caught with drugs now have the substance confiscated and are assessed and fined or directed to rehabilitation and education programs. Uh, quote, I think it's pretty clear that the Portuguese approach has been broadly successful in reducing harm caused by these drugs, said Professor Manderson. Uh, it has not led to an explosion in drug use, either in drugs like heroin or drugs like cannabis. In Portugal, illicit drugs can't be sold on the, quote, white market, the legal authorised places we regularly buy other goods and services. But how the ACT would approach the issue is yet to be determined. I think it's really important that we understand it's not an all or nothing thing, Professor Manderson says. There are many different regulatory models, and I don't think anybody's thinking that you'll be able to buy heroin in a grocery shop. No. And, and look, that's, isn't that the bottom line? Yeah. Good on you, Des. Good line. But banning some illicit substances only increases the harm that they cause, he says. Prohibition is not regulation. It's the complete opposite of regulation. There's no regulation. Yeah, right. It's just black market. 
We say that every week, don't we, Mary? <laughs> we do. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Professor. Um, and that means anything goes. We have no control over what goes into drugs, how safe they are. We've got no testing mechanisms. Or how much they cost. Or how much they cost yeah. <laughs> and, and, and who benefits from the profits. And Well, the coppers and the, the people who are, you know. Well, the best the status quo. Absolutely. There's a lot of money involved in keeping things as they are. Yeah. You have to wonder. Who you know? Who wants to maintain the status quo? Is that is that a good thing? And that you know, that's the question. That's the question, isn't yeah. it? That's the debate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, all of these. Uh, where are we? Sorry. If we're looking to yeah, the future, if we're looking to the future, yeah. then we want to look at all the different ways in which we can control the use of drugs, in which we can manage how people use them, the context that they can can use them, where do they get them from, under what conditions, is there supervision on how they're using those drugs? What are the warning signs? How do we connect to people's resources that provide them with correct information instead of just myth, he says. All of these sorts of things are regulatory possibilities, and I think it's not just a question of prohibition or free market. On the contrary, prohibition is the free market. That's right. That's a great, yeah. It is. That's brilliant. Yeah. After working in harm reduction for many years, Mr Goff is confident that decriminalising drugs is the way forward. And he's quoted as saying, we're seeing more and more countries realise that prohibition has failed that it's not fair, it doesn't work. It sets in stone inequities in the ability to access health services. It sets in stone discrimination. Mm -hmm. Drug users are present throughout society. Mothers, fathers, daughters, brothers, best friends. We need to support drug users to be able to access healthcare and treatment, not throw them in prison and punish them for a health issue. What that looks like is decriminalisation and supporting our community to thrive and overcome adversity not punish them for decades with criminal records. Well okay. said. And it this is, yep. story was produced as part of a collaboration between the University of Canberra and the Canberra Times, and uh, quite a good piece. It is a good piece, and it's good to have it um, produced in Canberra for Canberra users to think about. I mean, both sides are presented with equal weight there, yeah. I think, because Des Manderson has been for many years been a promoter of rational drug policy, um, since I ever heard of him, you know, <laughs> in my very early days. So, yeah, very pleased to hear about it. Um, just while we're on that topic, I'm talking about um, what we do and our stigma and discrimination. When last week I didn't say hello to Mary, so I'll say hello to her now because she usually listens to us with alarming regularity and promotes... Well, we're happy for that. <laughs> ...brings me up on... And we are happy for that. And say hello to Jack and Pete anyway because they're... You know, keeping an eye on us too and keeping us honest and, and keeping us correct, <laughs> more to the points. <laughs> Which we appreciate. Will we play your next pick? Love yeah, one? let's do that. Get them out of the way while we're still thinking of them because then we'll have to go to the news, yeah. won't we? So this is The Loved Ones with The, the loved, loved One. one. Yeah. All right, that was The Loved Ones with uh, The Loved One. And uh, welcome back to News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy. Uh, okay, we've got the uh, national news coming up uh, at 11. And then after that, we've got uh, a piece about the uh, police's new scare campaign. Uh, won't stop people from using drugs, but it will increase stigma by Nicole Lee and Jared Bartle, which is an interesting take on the uh, what they uh, describe as a Halloween-inspired campaign. Um to basically uh, simplify and create a misunderstanding of uh, drugs and drug users that is inaccurate. Anyway, here's the news. All right. Uh, thanks for the news there. Uh, welcome back to News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy. And it's four minutes after 11. And just um, like to do a shout out to 2XX, People Powered Radio, 98.3 FM. Uh, this show's been on air for over 15 years and we really appreciate the support um, from 2XX. It's uh, a great vehicle for our show and the 80-plus original shows that are produced by volunteers and broadcast each and every week. Okay, well, I'll wait, wait for Marion to come back from a cigarette. I'll uh, continue with uh, Australian music, given it's Aussie Music Month, and this is The Church and Under the Milky Way. Hey, that yeah, was it was great. the church and under yeah. the Milky Way, which I've always absolutely loved. Yeah, I love it too. Okay, it's nine minutes past eleven. You're Jeff and Marion in Studio One at Two Double X. Yeah, and, and people story, radio, people powered people radio, people powered radio. Let's and we're onto a national story. Yeah, the uh, police's new scare campaign won't stop people from using drugs, but it will increase stigma. So this follows on 
our conversation today. This is by Nicole Nee and Jared Bartle in the conversation November the 9th. As part of a Halloween-inspired campaign, the Australian Federal Police has released a series of ill-advised memes attempting to highlight the, quote, lesser-known impacts, quote, of illicit drug use. The campaign demonstrates a skewed and overly simplistic understanding of drug problems. It's superficial, inaccurate and demonises people who use drugs. People who use drugs are depicted as spine-chilling zombies that, quote, bankroll criminals who enslave women and destroy the government. End quote. Cocaine use is linked to infertility, jokingly claim, exclaiming, get off the junk to protect your junk. When I first saw that, I just thought, is that a what joke? What do they mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't it? People who use heroin are blamed for increasing insuring, insurance premiums. What? Arguably, the worst of the memes is a computer-generated image manufactured by the AFP manufactured by the AFP's forensic face recognition team, claiming to be the before and after after methamphetamine use. We've seen a lot of those in America, haven't we? Indeed, that, you know, we have. This, this woman looked like this three yeah, years later. Yeah. Well, they're on the front of the cigarette packets too. Do you think they're following that uh, kind of program? Seems like it. Yeah. 16 weeks ago, Steve looked like this. Now he's dying from lung cancer. Yeah. Um, it seems to be inspired, yeah, we've done that, Faces of Meth. and Oh, it seems to be inspired by the infamous American Faces of Meth and Montana Meth Project campaigns, which have been widely criticised as ineffective, inaccurate and highly stigmatising, which sounds like it's absolutely in keeping with the intention, doesn't it? Because that's what they got. In fact, they may have increased risk of use. Concerned community organisations are calling on the AFP to remove the posts. Here's what the AFP campaign gets wrong. And the next setting is scare campaigns and distorted, quote, facts simply do not reduce use or harms. The Australian Federal Police campaign uses confronting imagery and distorted and exaggerated claims in an attempt to scare people from using drugs. Decades of evidence show that scare tactics simply don't work and mass media campaigns aren't very effective in reducing illicit drug use. The overwhelming majority of the 16.4% of Australians who currently use illicit drugs do so occasionally and without harmful consequences. So when they see exaggerated images or messages trying to make drugs seem far more dangerous or risky than they are, they simply switch off. Scare tactics have been shown to make drugs seem more alluring, increasing the risk of use, not decreasing it. Some may see it as a challenge. It can increase awareness of specific drugs, and sometimes young people are attracted to activities that are forbidden. In fact, young people are... And don't we always say that's the point. When young people see this rubbish and they try the drugs and find that they don't become monsters or they, you know, they yep. don't suddenly stop, fail to produce sperm or stop, you know... Functioning. Con contraception, yep. okay? They're contracepting as well. That when they realise what, what rubbish that is, they think that everything that the police are saying is rubbish or that the government is saying is rubbish and they f stop believing whatever they're being told. Yeah, it's just it undermines trust in it does. government and This, this yeah. government is actually doing very well at undermining trust, <laughs> I believe. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's best to stick to the facts, the article goes on. Most people who use methamphetamine don't look like the faces of meth images. The typical person who uses methamphetamine is in their 20s and they use the powdered form of the drug, commonly referred to as speed, just once or twice a year. There are multiple and very complex reasons why people's appearance might change when they use drugs over a long period. Most of them aren't to do with the drug itself, but are related to a range of other social factors, like poor diet, lacks of access to health care and mental health problems that often predate the drug use. The faces of meth are really the faces of poverty, trauma and exclusion. Good point. The belief that bugs are crawling under your skin can occur with methamphetamine-related psychosis, but it isn't very common and people with other forms of psychosis unrelated to drug use also sometimes experience this delusion. The role of cocaine use on male fertility still isn't clear. 
the link between drug use and crime isn't straightforward. Most people who use illicit drugs don't commit crimes other than the drug use itself. Even among people who are dependent on drugs, risk of offending will actually increases when they can't get access to treatment. Treatment reduces criminal behaviour. For every Australian $1 spent on drug treatment, the community saves $7 in other costs. This includes a reduction in the cost to society related to crime. The other point that needs um, pointing out is the fact that, like in New South Wales, they had that inquiry into ICE, and yes. two years later... Not a single recommendation no, has been... No, it hasn't been taken up. No. I think, what, there are 150 recommendations or something? Was that related to the ICE and they didn't? government didn't take up one of them? And the commissioner came out, I remember we did a story some months ago, really upset. And so what was the point of me doing All that, that hard research, work and research doing, and Yep, and you're ignoring it. Yeah, oh, that's a dereliction of duty. Absolutely. I mean, essentially, I don't think politicians should be allowed to get away with well, we're tough on drugs. That's, yeah. our, that's our policy. That's what we do. And it's, that, a, it's another one-liner. It's like just say no, Jeffrey, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, tough yeah. on drugs doesn't mean anything. It's like harm reduction doesn't mean anything without its definition. Yeah. yeah. And behaviour that follows it up, tough on drugs, what does that mean? Just, yeah. Are you, and it's like drug abuse. Yeah, the same, the same language is used to describe behaviours of... What, 16% of the pop Australian population that use drugs irregularly, you know? And the vast majority do it so with yeah. little or no harm. Except the fact that they have to break yeah. the law. They break the law by buying drugs, by using drugs and by getting over their drugs, yeah. yeah? And having to engage with the black market. That's which is right. Not Funding the black market, which they're not happy about. Yeah. But nonetheless, that's what happens. That's not their choice. And it gets more and more all the time, more and more expensive, more and more involved. And then not to mention the fact of the risk of adulterated drugs or oh, contaminated yeah. with fentanyl or other. Back, yeah. Back um, to the purity, you know, price, price purity and, uh, and it's I mean, just that, crazy. Another thing that the New South Wales government ruled out was... Pill testing. Oh. And every summer yes. we lose. Well, we're on the P's. Yeah. Pill testing. Yeah, I just yeah. think that should be called out. Okay, the next uh, heading is demonising people increases problems. Even if you have a moral objection to drug use, which a lot of people seem well, to do. Well, that's the one thing that is a legitimate argument. If you have a moral objection to being intoxicated, fine. Yeah. But make it across the board. Yeah, all drugs. Don't be intoxicated. Well, there's a lot of hypocrisy, isn't there? Uh, there is, yeah. So even if you have a moral objection to drug use, making simplistic links between drug use and physical appearance, offending and other behaviours does nothing to stop people using. The campaign tagline, quote, have a conscience, suggests people who use drugs are morally corrupt. This makes the problem worse by increasing stigma. Stigma is one of the biggest barriers to seeking help for drug problems, and we say this constantly, don't we, Marion? Yep. But, you know, stigma is corrosive, it undermines people's self-image. right, self-worth. Yes. And, you know, the number of people in the old days who used to come in with a friend who had a drug problem yeah. rather than being able to represent themselves. Still, in the data, Geoffrey, you see that the representation of uh, men in uh, research is... Three quarters, yeah. yeah. Three quarters of the population they research will be men. And there's a piece further on in this morning's um, articles that refers to that. 76% of the people they researched were men. Wow. That's... And only 24% were women. No, that's not a, a proper representation, well, is it? I don't think it is, no. No. Um, okay, stigma is one of the biggest barriers to seeking help for drug problems. It delays help seeking and increases the risk of dropout from treatment. Any public messaging about drugs should follow well-established guidelines for reporting on drug-related issues, including those from Mindframe and AOD Media Watch, which I really highly recommend if people um, want to see. It gives um, tips on using language that's appropriate. Oh, indeed, um, yes. It's very good. Indeed. Yeah. Blaming individuals for structural problems, this article goes on, doesn't reduce use or harms. The AFP's cocaine post tries to link individual drug use to large-scale structural problems like organised crimes and the global drug trade. This ignores the key underlying causes of organised crime, which are linked to the massive profits made possible by the prohibition of drugs. 
If drugs were regulated, it could significantly reduce the black market and generate revenue for more treatment. Drugs are more harmful because they're illegal. They're manufactured in backyard labs with no quality or dose control. This is why most exports support drug law reforms such as decriminalisation or legalisation. Public support for legalisation of drugs has been increasing, with more people now supporting the legalisation of cannabis than opposing it. I suspect that has a lot more to do with the fact that more people that are getting older and are being publicly engaged in the conversation have been confronted with with cannabis and understand what benefits it can uh, provide as well as, you know, the more limited detrimental effects of things like cannabis. And, uh, yeah, I just think that that should be included. Some argued that with the massive amount of money spent on drug law enforcement, 66% of the entire spend on drug, that, yeah, as we said, a large amount goes into drug law enforcement and a very small long-term impact on the drug market, we need a different approach. Yeah, the other point, um, like you said about cannabis, is how many... Um, treatments and therapeutic, um, you know, approaches. Yeah, yeah. It could, could have been done had cannabis not been included in the it, list. Jeffrey, of- I, I keep telling people I'm 68. I have only recently come to understand that cannabis or you know cannabinoids have a role to play in um, the uh, the prevention of seizures. Yeah. In, in young children and in animals, and it's something that I'd never heard of, and yet that and that's the kind of factual stuff that we need to know. Yeah, I really think it's really useful information. But because most of the research that's been done on cannabis was done to promote the keeping it illegal, keeping it criminalised, uh, keeping yeah. it criminalised, yeah. we don't hear the good stuff. Yeah. We don't hear that the treatment options, the use of it in. in Enhancing um, appetite in people who have uh, cancer treatments. Yep. Yeah, I just think it's it's too useful for stuff like that to maintain its criminalised status because of the moral yeah, approach. It makes no uh, sense. No. It frightens people who should be able to get some benefit from it, or their carers. Yeah, look it's even beyond that. Um, Dave sent me an article about it being used to rehabilitate um, toxic waste from mining. Uh, sites and yeah. um, also it sequesters more carbon dioxide than um, your average forest. You know, like cannabis is remarkable. Oh, it's incredible stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Really good points too. Thanks, Dave, for those points. Yeah. So what does work? What works is pre- uh, in preventing uptake is providing good factual information about drugs from an early age, including evidence-based school drug education. Indeed. Harm reduction strategies like needle and syringe programs and medically supervised injecting facilities reduce harms from drug use. Often these activities also reduce use, although this isn't their main aim. Treatment is effective in reducing drug use and harms. There has been a significant shift in Australia and internationally to viewing drug use as a health and human rights issue rather than a criminal justice issue. Law enforcement should stick to policing. Drug prevention and harm reduction are specialised areas of health science and public health isn't served by the Australian Federal Police acting outside its area of expertise. I agree. Hear, hear. Getting help. If you're worried about your own or someone else's use of alcohol or other drugs, call the National Alcohol and Other Drug Hotline on... 1-800-250-015. free from anywhere in Australia. You can also chat online with a counsellor at the Alcohol and Drug Counselling Online. Join an online support group at Smart Recovery, S-M-A-R-T, Recovery, or talk to your GP about seeing a psychologist or counsellor. You may be able to access support via telehealth. And also give Karma a call on 6253-3643. That's right. We haven't done Karma's phone number, have we? Yeah, no, we we haven't done done the number. (laughs) 6253-3643. Should be tattooed into our brains. Yeah. 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 (laughs) All right. um, Might go to a bit of a – it's a bit of a joke song. It's the Slim Dusty, A Pub With No Beer. Well, you know, one of the original original drug songs, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's a classic. Yep. Here's Slim Dusty.
Well, that is an Aussie classic, if ever there was one. Probably the very first one. Yeah, first first sad drug song. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Okay, they're going on now. You're with um, Marion and Jeff, or Jeff and Marion, whichever way you like to look at it, on 2XX People Powered Radio 98.3 on uh, news from the drug war front. We're going to an opinion piece now from uh, VancouverIsAwesome.com. Uh, decriminalising drug use is only one part of the equation. It's entitled by Guy Felicella from November the 10th. Without also legalising drugs, decriminalising will do little to stop overdoses, he says. Last week, the province announced its proposal for decriminalising drug users. It's welcome news and something drug users, researchers and public health experts have been advocating for years, for for years. While we wait for the federal government's response to the plan, BC must immediately implement a legally regulated safe supply of drugs. If they don't, decriminalisation alone will do little to stop overdoses. The reason? Decriminalising people who use drugs does nothing to address the toxic, unregulated drug supply that is killing people. And this is why Vancouver wants to decriminalise drugs, is because they've been having massive overdoses, as regular listeners to the show will know, or even if you've just been reading the newspaper, opiates in the United States and in Canada, opioid overdoses, uh, related mostly to fentanyl. Yeah. Um, Synthetic uh, opioids oh, been used what, to... something just monumental, 90,000, I think there were last year, Jeffrey, weren't there? It's been In the United yeah. States? Yeah. Obscene. Anyway, so let's start with why decriminalising drug use is necessary, the piece goes on. The ongoing criminalisation of people who use drugs has contributed to the HIV and AIDS epidemic and other infectious diseases, fuelled poverty and homelessness, and entrenched racism and colonialism. It creates stigma, shaping how society views people who use drugs. It wrongly places certain substance use within a moral lens. It puts drug users in the criminal system without the possibility of ever escaping. Once you're deemed a drug user by the law, you're forever branded a criminal. Which is sort of what we were talking about Pretty before. Pretty much what we said at the beginning yeah, of the show. Yeah. You never it? shake it off. That's yeah. right. It's always there. When I was living on the downtown east side, he says, and addicted to drugs, I was thrown into a jail countless times for simple possession. I have over 50 drug convictions, too many to keep track of and more than a 100 charges on my record. Usually it was for carrying as little as half a rock of crack. I'd get charged, jailed and stood before a judge on pretty much a weekly basis. I would get released only with the stipulation that I couldn't carry drugs or any drug paraphernalia, and I would be red-zoned from the 100 block on Hastings, meaning I was essentially banned from the neighbourhood, even though that's where I lived, and where insight is, the one place I could use drugs in relative safety. Yeah, which took Supreme Court to uphold um, that they could act as a medically supervised injecting yes. um, centre. But, yeah, imagine being banned from the from neighbourhood. Where, and from where, where you, live. you live and where you can use drugs safely. Yeah, just yeah, crazy. It is just crazy. Uh, it goes on to say, I used heroin to fend off sickness. I needed drugs to function. But because I could no longer use them at Insight, I would use alone under the viaduct or in an alley or in a park, anywhere I could escape the police. This is, of course, extremely dangerous, and I can guarantee that many people have died because of these circumstances of being isolated and using alone when no one is there to help you if you overdose. And we say that naloxone. Every week. Every week, yeah. You can't administer naloxone to yourself if you. That's right. You know, stopping breathing. Naloxone only works if somebody is there. And because I was avoiding police and the threat of being tossed into jail again, I would throw away my paraphernalia, my paraphernalia, wherever I used it. The sad thing is my experience was and is not unique. It's crushingly normal. This is how the system of criminalisation beats people down, putting people in a dizzying downward spiral, a a cycle that is nearly impossible to break. It is defeating and dehumanising. 
Decriminalising people who use drugs is about justice. It's essential to reconciliation. It's an important and a necessary step to relieve this pressure that drug users face. But overdose deaths will not end if and when the federal government approves British Columbia's proposal. The deaths will only end when we address what is causing them, the toxic, unpredictable and unregulated drug supply, here, yep. here, yep. and the system of prohibition. What, yeah. You have to look at the cause, Marion, the systemic cause, not not the symptoms. Yeah. Um, he goes on to say, leaving the drug market in the control of organised criminals will only make drug supply increasingly dangerous. The war on drugs is a $100 billion a year global industry. Billions are used, oh, sorry, billions are spent to prevent drugs from coming into the country and more billions are spent to enforce it once they're in, they've inevitably gotten into the country. Despite those billions, drugs are incredibly easy to access. Imagine we redirected those funds to regulation, treatment and prevention efforts and guaranteed income and housing for people instead. Good question. (laughs) Eventually, every one of us will be impacted by this crisis. A family member, a neighbour, a friend. Each one of us will know someone if we keep the current system in place. We cannot leave this for the next generation to try to fix when we know what the solution is now. The bare minimum the federal government can do is approve British Columbia's plan. What really needs to happen, though, is for the feds to change our current drug laws and end the war on drugs once and for all. Whilst we wait for them to act, at least 17 Canadians will die every single day because of the toxic drug supply. Mm. Um, Guy Felicello is a peer clinical advisor at the British Columbia Centre on Substance Use. Yeah. It's a good, good piece, isn't it? It is a good piece, and it's... <laughs> Look, it's just fundamental. The other thing that I think it highlights, Jeffrey, is that um, Guy still has his intellect. Yeah, he's still. Yeah. So really, what we were saying earlier about the stigma and discrimination, and the crap that comes out of the AFPs, you know, post online Campaign, and yeah. those memes of what people look like, just has got goes out the window yeah. when you read a piece like this. It obviously indicates just. This guy has not lost his nows. No. Hasn't lost his sense. Simply asking for some very basic, sensible actions to be taken by British Columbia's um, uh, government and the federal government in Canada too. And that if they focused on the entirety, if you like, of the positioning of illicit drugs, then they would get a much better outcome. Yeah. If you aim, and, and I, you know, we say this every week, and I'm sorry if it sounds like a broken record, but 50 years, 60 years of the drug law get, tends to make us sound a bit like a broken record. And it's frustrating when it is. you know and the and, evidence and is when, there. And when stuff like this comes out, yeah. yeah, when you read a piece like this and you think, this guy's probably much the same age as me, sounds sensible, sounds intelligent, articulate, contributing to society, helping other people yeah. in the same situation he is, and yet... He's got 50 to 100, you know, drug convictions. convictions. He's still using under a bridge by himself, alone. And and your mate that went to a conference, I, you know, I'm sorry if I keep on bringing yeah. it up and hurting you with that, but it blows me out that people still, as peers, go to conferences and have to use alone, yeah. even at a harm reduction conference. Because they can't Because actually... they cannot say, I'm a drug user, I need to go and have a shot, can someone come with me? And look after me so I come back yeah. to the next session. Yeah. Yeah. Not be found dead. Not be found later. dead. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, I find that frightening and irritating, makes me angry. And it's such a criminal waste. It, of- well, that's it. That's what's criminal, Jeffrey. Not the drugs, not the drug users, but the behaviour of people who are ignoring the facts of life. Yeah. yeah? We know drug users are fact. Yeah. Um, and therefore, when you make it illegal, when you make facts illegal or the performers of those actions illegal, then you just make criminals out of us all. Yeah. And is that the intelligent well, way is, to well, respond? Is that I what mean, you want to do? Yeah. You, know, that... you basically shove us into a corner and say that's the only area you can function in, in society. You cannot contribute anywhere else. No, frustrating. Very frustrating. All right, uh, play another Australian track. This is one of my favourites. They were actually a Geelong band, and sadly, the lead singer died of a drug overdose. So, Powder Monkeys are no longer with us. Get the girls straight. Absolutely. It's a good track. It's the Powder Monkeys.
All right, that was the Powder Monkeys and Get the Girl Straight. Yeah. Okay. It's about uh, 18 minutes to midday. You're with Jeff and uh, Marin in the 2XX studio. And this is news from the drug war front. We've got a piece from Germany, which indicates maybe there'll be a uh, change in the cannabis laws. Indeed. This is by Ike Hennig, uh, Bloomberg.com from November the 10th. Germany's le- likely next ruling coalition is closing in on a deal to legalise cannabis for recreational use. The strongest signal yet that long-awaited growth of Europe's marijuana market is gaining traction. Negotiators for the Social Democrats, Greens and pro-business Free Democrats are hammering out the details, including conditions under which the sale and use of recreational cannabis would be allowed and regulated. According to people familiar with the talks who ask not to be identified because the discussions are private. They're part of wider negotiations on forming a new government, with the three parties targeting early December for a new administration to take office under Social Democratic Olaf Scholz. No final decision on cannabis has been made and the outcome could still change, the people said. Spokespeople for the Greens and SPD declined to comment on any aspect of the coalition talks. A spokesperson for the FDP... Must the uh, Free Democrats didn't immediately respond to a request for comment on the cannabis plan. An agreement on its legalisation wouldn't be overly surprising. The likely coalition partners have been more open to the idea than Angela Merkel's Christian Democrats, who've been in power since 2005. That's interesting, Jeff, isn't it? The move would give a boost to a European market that is projected to be worth 3.2 billion euros or 3.7 billion Australian by 2025, up from 400 or up from 403 million euros at the end of this year, according to the European Cannabis Report by research firm Prohibition Partners. Many cannabis growers already have a foot in Europe's door through a medical business and have been positioning themselves to benefit from a bigger recreational market. Cura Leaf Holdings Inc., the US's largest multi-state operator, earlier this year bought Amac Life Sciences Limited, poising it to capitalise. Cura Leaf chairman Boris Jordan uh, also has a stake in Frankfurt-based startup uh, Algia Care. Tilray Inc. has a facility in Portugal that says it aims to ship marijuana across Europe and it has been touting its merger with US company Afria Inc. Other Canadian operators such as Aurora Cannabis Inc. and Canopy Growth Corporation also serve the German medical market. All I hear is huge huge. amounts of money. Well, yeah, it sounds like, yeah, everybody's sitting ready to jump as soon as Germany says... Because they've just increased their population by a million, boom, just like that, when they let what Angela, Angela Merkel Angela let Merkel. in a million immigrants, yeah. yeah? Oh, that's true, yeah. Yeah? Yep. So they've just increased their population by a million people. So whatever you say, it's going to be serving a huge population. I'd Always a young population. Yep. Drops off a little bit as people age, but yep. it's still there. People use till they die. I'd much rather see a regulatory model where people are allowed to do it on a small business sort of... It's okay to have to use drugs for fun. Yeah. I mean, recreation, that means having fun, relaxing, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Well, I remember California, part of their approach was to actually prioritise people who um, had convictions for cannabis. Yeah. And give them, you know, assistance in setting up small businesses or, you know... Well, because that would be one of the places that they would be well positioned and have to expertise. find employment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I think it's a great idea. It is. Okay, the piece concludes, the United Nations late last year decided to remove cannabis from its list of hard drugs, followed by the European Commission's categorisation of cannabid- cannabidiol, an active ingredient derived from the hemp plant, as food rather than a narcotic. Public opinion in Germany has also shifted towards legalisation. In a survey at the end of October by the German Hemp Association, 49% of respondents said they were in favour of legalising cannabis. Uh, for example, in specialty shops, um, as in the US and Canada, compared with 46% who were still opposed. So it's still pretty close, yeah, isn't it's it? Yeah, it's still marginally 3% difference, yeah. That's the first time since 2014 that more people were in favour in the poll, which is done annually. Annually, yeah. So, it's an interesting point. 
that they've only that they're polling in that way too. Um, mm. It might be interesting to find out whether there, there's a, a a hemp market for clothing, because I know hemp clothing is yeah. really expensive. We were talking about it the other day. Hemp clothing is really expensive, but you know when you think about it, it's only just. Um, Niche industry capitalizing yeah. on yeah. on the market on what's available in cannabis or yeah. uh, in marijuana plants. You know, oh, just making sure huge. that you use the whole of the plant. Yep. So there's a recreational use for smokers or for users, and then there's hemp for paper, road, clothes, paper, rapers, clothing, yeah. you name it. Yeah. yeah, and sequestering carbon dioxide, which I hadn't well, absolutely, heard of as before. Dave said, yeah, yeah, which is a great point. Absolutely amazing. All right, so we'll play another Australian track, uh, the classic, uh, the Saints. I'm stranded. So we're hooking into the we're hooking, hooking into yeah. the music we're, this week. We're doing <laughs> Australian Music Month a little bit late, but yeah, we like them ever. The Saints. Another iconic yeah, Australian another song. Good oldie. The Saints, I'm Stranded. Look, uh, we probably haven't got time to uh, go through a uh, couple of stories, but they are important. There's one from um, uh, it's a medical website, News uh, GP. Um, opioid treatment study, quote, may impact future Australian guidelines. Are you going to put that on the website, I, th- I, I think so, because it's quite important. It's talking about um, a study where participants received the long-acting uh, buprenorphine injections? Um, I referred to it earlier. That's the one with 76% of the 100 respondents were men. So, but, yeah, ah, it, and right. it's an important one because it actually indicates um, how useful buprenorphine, long-acting buprenorphine will be, um, but also that it should not be to uh, introduced at the expense of any other opioid replacement therapies. Well, one of the concerns is a lot of people have expressed um, a feeling of almost coercion to... Yes, that they're being pushed onto that yeah. program, yeah, yeah, and that that might be at the expense of the availability of methadone yeah, or should... any other treatments, and that's just wrong. It should be... Personal there should choice. be a variety. Yes. The more yeah. options, the better. Yeah, but it and should be... that article does say that it, to, it, to its... You know, the research is useful, and it, but it does not say that it should be made available at the expense of the others. In fact, it says quite the opposite, absolutely the opposite. It says it should be made in conju- made available in conjunction with the other opioid yeah, treatment I, methods. I might read a quote from the uh, chair of the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners, specific interest addiction medicine specialist, Dr Hester Wilson. Wilson yep. He said, quote, we've had methadone, which has been brilliant. Now we have buprenorphine, which has the advantage that it's a partial opioid agonist, making it better for people with respiratory illness or any issues with overdose risk. My feeling is that this is a great change. It will give choice to patients. It means patients don't have to attend pharmacies as often. Yep. Um, other reported benefits of the uh, intramuscular injection um, version of buprenorphine Outlined in the findings include not having to travel for supervised dosing, reducing experience of stigma and reducing negative rituals and habits associated with dosing. If you remember, Jeffrey, I men- we mentioned it last week too that there were, and the week before, I think, that the uh, reports from uh, the prison system that the injection um, of oh, long-acting, were, yeah. yes, that people were actually being able to um, divert these doses. So it's really unattractive so it doesn't actually solve all the problems and the thing is wherever you provide a problem um, and that you make drugs only available to a certain number of people or to a restricted number of people then diversion of those drugs is going to be an inevitable obstacle yeah. that will be that will be seen as an obstacle to be overcome. Yeah. It will not stop people from doing it. It will just encourage them to find a way to overcome that problem. Yeah, because yeah. we pretty uh, cluey individuals, and every time with drug use has been restricted, we've found a way to people get access to, to them. That's right, and to make them available to more people. So it puts other people at risk. Anyway, well, that's that'll very be on impo- the website. It's a good article. It's a very important point. And um, another issue, as we've mentioned before, is the cost of opioid maintenance treatment. You <sighs> know, might be $15 a week in the ACT, but that's the cheapest in Australia. Indeed. And it's largely as a result of the, you know, involvement of karma and other um, That's right. That's been at the about, table. Yeah, it's been about lobbying and about being yeah. local. If you're out in a rural New South Wales somewhere, it's not necessarily going to be that cheap. No, definitely and not. you may have to travel at least an hour to get your methadone or whatever you're using. Yeah, there's so a lot of obstacles. So it depends on what you're using, yeah. 
your opioid replacement therapy for too. That's important. Yeah, but as you said, marrying choices. It's, yeah, maintain the choice. There's another article that the Australian government's urged to set date to ban cigarette retail sales. Oh, yeah. It's a really, it's actually an interesting article. It uh, is news to me. It's by Melissa Davey from the medical editor, who's the medical editor of Guardian.com Australia. And that was uh, November the 15th, so that's yesterday. It's a fairly interesting article and should be, um, it should be news. It's probably news to most people who have not been watching this debate. That is probably smokers like me. Um, so it's uh, maybe you can put that on the website too, Jeffrey. Yeah, it was news to me. How are we going? <laughs> Reading anyway, that we're just about up to yeah, the end about, of the show. Wow. Um, thanks for listening. Hope uh, the Australian music was... Um, yeah, I hope you got plenty of music this week. Yeah, and felt musicful. We were told we, we didn't play enough last time, so yeah, we've tried to make up for that. Got plenty of it this week. Look after yourselves, everyone. Yeah, take care, and we love you. So you know, stay alive and listen to us next week. And Indeed. you too could be on the end of one of our shout-outs. <laughs> awesome. Take care, everyone. Bye. We'll leave, leave you with uh, Golden Brown. And See you next week. The Stranglers. <laughs>